Christmas is a time of peace on earth, and not just any peace, heavenly peace. In Greek, the word is a reine. Say a reine. And in Hebrew, as George first said this morning, it's shalom. Say shalom. At the birth of Jesus, the angels really couldn't help but sing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to humankind. On earth a reine. Shalom to people. And eight days after the angelic chorus, Joseph and Mary took baby Jesus to the temple three and a half miles away to be circumcised according to Torah. And a man named Simeon was there at the temple. You may recall Simeon and remember the Holy Spirit promised him, Simeon, before you die, you will see the consolation of Israel. Oh, what a great title for Jesus. The consolation of Israel. The comfort, encouragement, the shalom, really, of Israel. Jesus. And as Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms, he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Peace, or shalom, is one of those, it's one of those foundational themes that thunders throughout the Bible. Take a grand tour of Scripture And you'll see the concept of shalom is really much bigger than the English word peace can handle. At its root, shalom also means wholeness or completeness. In context, in Scripture, other English words that help to capture what shalom includes are contentment or soundness, health. And personal welfare, that one personal welfare, that's really where the origin of using shalom as hello or goodbye comes from. Wishing someone well in greeting and in farewell. Indeed, I hope you fare well. So, shalom. Shalom includes safety, security, prosperity, rest, harmony, and tranquility. And one huge use of shalom in Scripture, and even especially a reine, is to refer to when the nations are not at war with each other. So biblical shalom shalom is indeed peace, but it's this really, really big and complete and deep and wide peace, including all and more of the things we just listed in English. This morning, this morning I'd like to focus on one area of shalom in particular with you as we get closer and closer to the manger. Last week we started looking at this same piece of shalom when we peered into that shepherd's cave where Jesus was born. I suggested to you that caves in the Bible may be emblematic of of lonely places where people went when they were struggling, in particular with relationships, when they were struggling with broken community. 
And so maybe that's why God thought it was important for us to know that Jesus was born in a cave. Because even the place of His birth shouts that God is going to do something about broken community, broken relationships between us and God and between us and others. In a word, a big word, Jesus came to bring shalom. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We've gotten to know Luke a bit through our study in Acts, which of, of course Luke wrote. And of all the Gospels, Luke uses the word peace the most. Thirteen times in 24 chapters. And that's more than the other three Gospels combined. Luke also uses the word peace in the book of Acts more than Matthew, Mark, or John. And you could argue that Luke uses peace as a key theme throughout his Gospel and the book of Acts. He begins his account in Luke of Jesus' birth by sharing with us three songs really emphasizing peace. We already mentioned the song of the angel. We mentioned the song or the fulfillment, the joy, the prayer of Simeon. And just before them in Luke is the song of John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah who ends his song by comparing Jesus coming to the rising of the sun, shining in the darkness. And why do we need that sun shining in the darkness? Zechariah sings in order to guide our feet into the path of peace. And Luke not only begins his story of Jesus' birth with three peace songs, but he ends his gospel just before Jesus ascends to heaven by telling us, making sure that we hear that Jesus greeted the disciples saying, Shalom, peace be with you. So it might be said that Luke's gospel begins and ends with a message. A message of Jesus bringing us peace or shalom. In Luke chapters 7 and 8, we can, we can see Luke's theme of shalom very clearly. And we also see how Luke's theme of shalom links very closely and intentionally with the problem of broken relationships and lost community. We'll look briefly at four stories that Luke packages tightly together across two chapters. Your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 7, and I'll begin reading at verse 36, our first story, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Luke 7:36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We find in Matthew, Mark, and John this story as well, and we learn that Jesus is in Bethany. We also learn that this Pharisee, believe it or not, is a leper. Luke doesn't include that detail for some reason. I mean to ask him why someday. His name is Simon the leper. And Bethany being a leper colony, that's where he's got to live. Bethany itself was known for, well, if you've got leprosy, if you've got an issue with health, you go over there and live in Bethany so you don't come too close to us and make us unclean. So a Pharisee, a leper named Simon, invites Jesus to come on over for dinner, and Jesus goes. Verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town 
almost certainly a prostitute, was an idiom, a woman who lived a sinful life. You say that in the first century, that's a prostitute. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Pause there a minute. This is a leper saying this, who himself was deemed an outcast, and even according to the theology of that day, deemed a sinner. You didn't get leprosy. You didn't get something wrong with you. If either you or your father or your father, there's sin going on with something like that. It's one reason why they made them all go live in Bethany. So this man, who himself is an outcast, is looking down his nose and tisking at this woman who's a prostitute. Verse 40. (laughs) Remember, Simon just said this to himself. Verse 40. Jesus answered him. (laughs) I think it's a little attempt at humor here by Luke. How many times you think something to yourself and someone looks at you and responds to you. It's like, hmm. Jesus answered him. Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose... See, Simon knows what's coming, and he's not going to be the hero of this lesson. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, still at his feet, presumably. Then he turned toward the woman, but said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Did you really see her? I came into your house, Simon. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which was the hospitable custom of the day. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. And in that day you have to think handshake or warm hospitable greeting. That's what that kiss is all about. You didn't... You didn't even greet me warmly. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? Because they knew only God could forgive sins. A very clear indication here of who Jesus is also. 
fully God as well as fully human. Jesus said to the woman, here's his parting words to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in shalom. And with those words, go in peace, go in shalom, we see a woman shunned by her community because of a sinful past accepted by God. Bethany, the outcast community, rejects her. Jesus accepts her. Her community is restored. And by the way, now that she's forgiven, Bethany has no grounds for keeping her away. Bethany must accept her too. Jesus came to restore broken community. Shalom on earth. And Luke's just warming up. In chapter 8, we have the story of Jesus calming the storm. And the disciples are stunned that even the winds and water, even nature, obey Jesus. And the fact that they're so amazed that this is interesting. I mean, Jesus has been performing many miracles for quite some time now. He just raised a widow's son from the dead. Wow! But the disciples are still amazed, even fearful that the storm listens to Jesus. Probably because only God has the power and authority over nature. Only the Creator. And so when the storm calmed, they saw Jesus through even bigger eyes than they had ever before. Whoa! Who is this? Even bigger than when He had raised someone from the dead. We have to go to Mark, His Gospel, His telling of the storm story to see what Jesus said to calm the storm, guess what he said? No fair, it's up on the screen, so I'll just tell you. Jesus said to the wind and the water and the storm, Shalom! Peace, be still. Jesus came to restore broken community with the very power of God Himself. Even the broken community between nature and humankind. Peace on earth. From there, Luke dives into two more stories about Shalom's healing response to broken community. First is the story of a man possessed by demons who was forced by his community to live outside the city in chains in a cave because they just wouldn't deal with it. He was too much to put up with, I suppose. And by the way, we talked about this when we studied the slave girl in Philippi in Acts, remember, who was demon-possessed, about how demonic possession is one ultimate example, at least, of total broken community being exploited and used and controlled against your will is not what community should be all about. Jesus heals the man. And Luke doesn't tell us Jesus says, go in peace, But Luke does say that after Jesus cast out the demons, the man was in his right mind, which is certainly included in what shalom is about. The demoniac's own community rejects him. Jesus accepts him. Jesus came to restore broken community, peace on earth. One more. It's one of my all-time favorites, so let's let Luke tell the story. And I'm reading from Luke 8. Luke 8, beginning at verse 42b. As Jesus was on His way, the crowds almost crushed Him. Can you imagine? Many of you have been to a sporting event, 
or a 90% off sale at Macy's for Christmas or Walmart, you know what it means to be in a crowd crushed. Jesus trying to make his way, and the crowd almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And in my opinion, this next verse, there may be no greater verse in all of Scripture in terms of what faith is all about. She came up behind him and touched the edge of her cloak. And you say, big deal. It's a huge deal. They're probably in Capernaum. Everybody knows of this woman and her bleeding problem for 12 years. She is patently, especially in this Orthodox community, unclean. People saw her coming. They'd avoid her like the plague that she was, according to them. Because she gets too near, she crosses your path, you touch her, you're unclean. You have to go do ritual purity baths, mikvah, they say, to even go into synagogue and praise God and... You want nothing to do with her. For 12 years then, even her own family, if they were orthodox, didn't touch her. She hadn't been touched for 12 years. The shame that she must have had. And remember, Jesus is tightly packed in a crowd. Probably much more tightly than you. For that woman to come up with the courage to force her way through that crowd, knowing that at any moment if someone recognizes her and sees who she is, ah, unclean, get away from me, Martha, whatever her name was. You know you're not supposed to. She had to be disguised. We'll ask her one day. Maybe her hood is over her head. She's wearing a different cloth or coating that nobody else would recognize her. Where is she as she sees this mob come, knowing that Jesus is in the middle of it? I don't know. She sees him coming, and she, I'm going to get in there. You want to talk about faith. You want to talk about chutzpah. And ner- someone sees her, and she bumps into the rock. She could end up stoned, literally killed. She puts this hood over, and she comes, and she's like going through all these people, and she's brushing up against them, and she's hardly daring, and she's like looking up, and she's trying to kind of see where he is, and oh, God, he keeps moving, and she doesn't even dare talk. They might recognize her voice. They say, excuse me, excuse me, and and finally she gets maybe where she can finally reach, and she reaches through and past someone, and oh, touches the corner of his... And the text says, immediately, she's healed. Verse 45. In the midst of being crushed by people, which Peter points out, I think, a little sarcastically in a bit... Jesus says, who touched me? That woman's got to be thinking, oh no. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the 
the people are crowding and pressing against you. You know, what do you mean who touched you? Like, everybody's touching you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, where is she still with seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at the great rabbi's feet. In the presence of all the people, what is she doing here? She told why she had touched him. And how... She had been instantly healed. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in shalom. Go in peace. The village of Capernaum rejects her. Jesus accepts her. In her community now, both in heaven and on earth, both with God and with others, is restored. Now that she's forgiven, her community has no grounds for keeping her away. Oh, if she was married. Oh, even if she wasn't and had any friends left. Oh, to be there that day when she left the rabbi, went running home, and hugged someone for the first time in 12 years. Jesus came to restore broken community peace on earth. Now, many of you may be thinking, because you know your Bibles, let me address briefly a brief word on Matthew 10, 34, where Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. You say, whoa, what's up with that? How can the one who brought so many peace who brought so much peace to so many, say that. What in the world is the one Isaiah called Prince of Peace? Obviously, he's about peace. What is he talking about? Here's a likely answer, in my opinion. On a verse, often take it out of context and abused and taught poorly, in my opinion. Jesus' point is that this contrary sounding or Jesus point in this contrary sounding passage is that the peace that Jesus is offering will divide people because some will want nothing to do with it perhaps Luke's version of Jesus teaching here makes it a bit clearer Luke's quotes Jesus as saying do you think I came to bring peace on earth no I tell you but division see Jesus knows that many are going to reject this radical idea of shalom He knows that some will prefer a hierarchy of power where they get to be large and in charge and they get to be the boss of them and others and they gain at the expense of others. And so the idea of a community of sacrificial giving where all are accepted as equals, well, some who have it all over others and have their boot on someone's neck, that's not going to sound so good to them and they're going to fight it tooth and nail. It's much more fun having Pharaoh's stick in your hand and hitting someone to your own benefit than it is to letting go of that power and taking the staff of a shepherd to protect and to love the sheep. 
No, Jesus' peace is God's shalom. Jesus' peace is not, I've got mine and go get your own. Jesus' peace is not, in other words, syncretism. Jesus' peace is not tolerance, where what you think is good for you and what I think is good for me is just fine. So now let's live in peace. No, Jesus' peace is God's shalom, period. It's His idea of shalom only. And it's a peace where all are loved, all are accepted, all are treated as equals. And it's that offer of true heavenly peace that causes division between those who accept it and those who want nothing to do with it because it costs them too much, they think. The Apostle John can't help but get excited about the message of shalom either. John finishes his gospel with a flurry of shaloms. It's after the crucifixion and resurrection. And Jesus is meeting with his disciples and Jesus can't stop saying peace. In one span of only eight verses, he greets his disciples three times. John makes sure as we hear it, shalom, he keeps saying. Shalom just bursts from Jesus. Shalom, he says, shalom, shalom, peace be with you. My question for you and for me, for us this Christmas, will shalom burst from you or from us? How about bringing shalom to someone this Christmas? How about making that your Christmas gift to God and to them? How about being the baby in the manger to someone? How about being the person that calms someone's stormy sea? that brings them even a little love and acceptance this Christmas. My mind goes immediately. We talked about this in class last week at a Bible class that I teach for Front Range Christian. So you guys that are in high school and some college too, you students in particular, sometimes I get from kids, hey, have you shared your testimony this week? You know, churchy, theological. Have you shared your testimony? And kids are like, fear strikes them. Oh, I, I wouldn't know what to say. What do you mean? Oh, well, no, I didn't, I didn't like go through the thing. You know, God made everything and then sin and then the devil and, you know, on your belly in the dust. And don't worry, I'll send And Oh, and the doctrine of original sin. And why does Adam and Eve sin? Anyway, and then so God sent Jesus and then he died and so we could be... No, I haven't done that this week. Let me ask you guys. Would you consider, would you consider this week, in your school, would you consider this week finding someone, maybe in the cafeteria, the the, the kid that always eats alone, the kid that can't make it on any sports team. You know the ones. The ones that they have the wrong clothes. They look funny. Their hair's weird. Maybe they even smell a little bit. You know them. Would you consider risking this week going and finding that person? And it's a risk because maybe those you normally hang with they're going to tease you about it. And 
But would you risk finding that person, going up to them, and giving them... Can I stand on this, John? And giving them the most amazing, at least first step, testimony of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of the world, that you could possibly give them... Well, at least it's a start. It's, it's a two-letter word. I heard it. Just go up to him, look him in the and say, Hi. Can you do that? See, I know you can. So the question is, will you? If you really want to step out, use a three-letter word and go, Sup. You have no idea. You don't have to be a great theologian. You don't have to have 20 steps. Go and say hi to somebody. You're ready to do that. You've been ready to do that since you've been born. Why don't you? Do you feel like, well, that's not good enough? I don't. Make a huge impact on someone's life. Huge. Hi. Want my Snickers? Whoa. Adults, too, everyone. In your workplace, go find the lonely guy. Maybe it's Bob from Account Temps. I don't know. We lawyers like to pick on accountants because we have to work so closely with them. Find the guy that nobody wants. You know, the guy when you see, oh, no, here comes, you know, we can never get away from this. And you know the guy there in every office. Bring him a cup of coffee. Find out what he likes. Maybe every morning he comes in with pumpkin spice chai. Go buy him one. Put it on his desk before he gets there. Just don't bring him a fruitcake because we're trying to restore community. (laughs) How about that neighbor? (laughs) You know, that neighbor whose dog keeps killing your grass. This one hits close to home for me. My family is laughing. Bake her an apple pie and just bring it over to her and say, Merry Christmas. That's it. You may even find that her dog stops killing your grass. That's not why you do it. How about the newcomer to your Sunday schools and small groups? (gasps) Oh! You mean this goes on in church, being shunned? Do you let them in? Really? Into that group that's been around for years and years? Do you let them all the way in? Include them in everything? Welcome them completely? Fight the urge to form these sort of cliques of us who have been here like just forever. And new people we're not as comfortable with yet. How welcome do they feel? 
Rabbinic literature especially extols, lifts up peace among people as the greatest possible blessing. One teacher has even said that achieving peace is the purpose of the entire Torah. Another teacher notes that actions that bring peace between people have both, of course, a benefit in this world, but they'll also bring a a reward from God in the world to come. And even the great teacher Hillel, the grandfather of Paul's teacher Gamaliel, and Hillel, whom Jesus often quotes, Hillel defines the very heart of what it means to be God's people with this maxim or, or bumper sticker. Love peace and pursue it. When you help to restore relationships, when you reach out to someone who's an outsider, someone who is shunned, you do what the baby in that manger came to do and what he asked you to do to bring them shalom, to bring them the kingdom of heaven. Ah, book of Acts flashback. To show them the way out of their lonely caves. And if it's you this morning sitting here who is in desperate need of shalom, if you've been ignored and hurt by your community, maybe even your own families, take heart. Because that baby in the manger didn't come to only console Israel, he came to console and comfort you. Jesus may have been born in a cave and buried in a cave, but don't forget it. He came out of that cave whole and complete. He came out of that cave living and breathing in His resurrection in the flesh, shalom. And He wants nothing more than to offer all of us anyone who'll take it his shalom he's sitting right there if you're in a cave he's sitting right there on the rock next to you crying with you hurting with you in your lonely cave and his hand is extended inviting you to grab hold and follow him out of your dark and lonely places to a place of complete and utter peace on earth a place of shalom There shouldn't be anyone who's homeless or hungry. There shouldn't be anyone who is barely still alive, dying from AIDS, hooked up. Hooked up to ten different machines, and he's there all alone. Shouldn't be. There's no place in God's kingdom for the strong at the expense of others. So many are hurting. Will you be the baby in the manger to them and bring them shalom even with a high or a sup or even a Snickers?
I'd like to close this morning by playing just a few bars. It's a long song, but we'll play just a few bars in the interest of time of a, a popular Christmas song. It's not intentionally Christian, but you know, maybe you're like me and you find sometimes worldly things and themes can't help but mirror truth, at least. You ever discover that? As always, the sermon was on my heart and mind this week, so I'm driving around doing some errand. I, I imagine I forget what I was doing. This song comes on the radio at a time I was deep in thought about shalom and what I wanted to share with you guys. And as the song rolled out, I had one of those, you, know, you ever have one of those when you're trying to find, you're trying to think, of what could you ever have one of those, that's it, moments. Okay, this song captures a piece of peace at least, of true biblical peace, I think, even if it's by accident. See what you think. Santa to God, and that's quite a leap. If only because Santa's gift depends on you being nice. And God's free gift, let's see, what does Scripture say? While we were yet naughty, Jesus died for us? Something like that. Did you hear Shalom on Amy Grant's grown-up Christmas list? No more lives torn apart. That's shalom. That wars wouldn't even start. That's shalom. All broken and hurting hearts healed. Shalom. Everyone would have a friend. Oh my goodness. Shalom. Right would always win. Shalom. And love would never ever end. From this God who John says is love. Shalom. Is shalom on your Christmas list this year? Not only to get, but to give? 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, shalom to humankind on whom His favor rests. Would you stand, please, as we close in prayer and God's blessing. Father in heaven, we would this Christmas be your instruments, your tools to bring peace and shalom to a world, to one lovely person who's hurting. Please, please help us see past things like materialism, things like wealth and riches, things that so want to push us to make a God of ourselves. Please, Father, stir within us, even now and throughout this Christmas season and beyond, your indwelling anointing of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to get over ourselves so we can get on to the business, the joy of serving others and being a baby in the manger to them and helping them out of their caves, Father, and being shalom to them. Thank you for the gift of giving your Son. Thank you for coming yourself in a marvelous way into the very being of a human being to give your own life, your Son's life, for ours, so that we would have shalom forever and ever and ever. And thank you, Father, for reminding us even. Thank you for saying to Moses in number six, Hey, Moses, tell Aaron, this is how you are to bless my people. Even now as we receive that same blessing, Father. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you... Oh my goodness, look at that. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you shalom. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. We'll see you next week for some amazing music. On the 21st, please make your plans to join us. God bless you and Merry Christmas.